Hi, I'm Rachel Gastic, and this is Formative, the podcast where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Our guest today is children's book author Jesse Bird, whose award-winning stories represent kids of all races, ethnicities, genders, and abilities. At the end of 2021, Jesse collaborated with a group of young New York Edge students on their very own book, The Magical Bakery. We are so delighted to have him here with us today. Welcome back, Jesse. Thank you, and thank you for partnering with us on this. And now I'd like to introduce you to my student co-host, Orlando, a sixth grader and future YouTube star at MS452K in Brooklyn. I bet you got some great questions for Jesse today, Orlando. Yes, I do. All right. Well, we, wa- we got to get this podcast started then. Orlando, I know you're going to have a great conversation today. So why don't you start with your first question for Jesse? Okay. My first question is, where did you grow up and what was it like? Ooh, that's a good question, Orlando. So I grew up in two places. I consider two places home, Oakland, California, and New Orleans, Louisiana. Most of my family lives in New Orleans. So, you know, great food, great music, gumbo, the po' boys, the crawfish, all of that good stuff. Um, And I also grew up in Oakland, which is the home of the Black Panthers, a lot of activism, a lot of artists. So I think what I've become is probably a mix of those two places, at least in part, my environments. And what was it like to your second question? It was great. I had a lot of fun. I played video games, had sleepovers. Did you have any sports growing up? I did have sports growing up. I played basketball in the street with my friends. I played football in the street with my friends. I played soccer and baseball. I wasn't really very good at anything except basketball. In baseball, I could only catch and throw with the same hand. I was so right-handed that I couldn't wear the glove on my left and catch the ball. So I'd have to wear the glove on my right, catch the ball, take the whole glove off, grab the ball out of the glove, and then throw it. So needless to say, that career was short. Wasn't very good at soccer either. Um, I was a defensive forward, and everybody would get past me. It just wasn't, it just wasn't my game. Football I was okay at, but I had to choose between football and basketball as I got older. And I just chose basketball. Why? Because more of my friends were playing basketball. It was that simple. There's no deep science to it. I wanted to play sports with my friends. It was a really, really good time. I had, I had, I had a very fun time in both of those places. Interesting. So what was your childhood dream? Believe it or not, Orlando, the first thing I ever wanted to be was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And then I got older and realized that that wasn't something that I could become, at least in the way that I that I had wanted to become one, right? Donatello was always my favorite one, the purple one, but I could not become Donatello the way I wanted to. So the second thing I wanted to be was a psychologist, believe it or not. That was my second dream, around 11 or 12. That's kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't realize my dream of becoming a writer. I knew I wanted to be an artist by the time I was like 13, 14. I didn't know that writing specifically was the art form I wanted to go into until I was about 20. So I say that to say you can have more than one dream and what you think you want to do and be in life can evolve and that's okay. The first part was good because I my favorite character in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was Donatello. Yes, we have that in common. <laughs> do you find any similarities playing basketball and being a writer? Oh, that's a really good question. I actually learned a lot from sports that helps me in writing, in arts, and in business. A lot about teamwork, a lot about sacrifice, a lot about hard work, a lot about planning and preparing for what's ahead. So I think sports taught me a lot of like really deep intrinsic things that intangible things that then helped me 
in arts and business just to try to be a professional in those realms. And, and I use a lot of that discipline is probably the, the best word. I use a lot of that discipline today as an artist and as a businessman. Did you always like books growing up? What made you become a writer? Mm, okay. Did I always like books growing up? Yes, I always liked books growing up. My mom was very strict about something. She said every single day you have to read for at least 20 minutes a day. And so I would always have to read for at least 20 minutes a day and, and fell in love with reading from there, all the way from picture books when I was a kid and then chapter books and, and then into, into more advanced books later. And the book that got me interested in writing when I was young, even though I didn't know I wanted to be a writer yet, was The Phantom Tollbooth, which is probably one of my favorite children's books. It was the first book, Orlando, that told me, that taught me that you could be both silly with writing, but also have something meaningful to say. I hadn't read too many books before that that did both. They were either very meaningful, had some very important things to tell you about the world, about life, or they were absolutely silly. But I hadn't read a book that did both. And so once I read that book, I was like, this is the type of stories I want to write. I want to still keep my silliness because I'm very silly, Orlando. But I also want to have some substance. And so silliness and substance is kind of what I hope for in my art. But what can be frustrating about the writing process? You know, what I used to find very frustrating about the writing process is that it doesn't always go in a straight line. So just because you spend a lot of time with a story doesn't mean it's going to progress the way that you would hope and at the speed that you would hope. So what I had to learn is that stories are a lot like plants and trees. Some of them grow at one pace, some of them grow at another. And as long as you're doing the job of watering them and giving them sunshine and protecting them from the things that can hurt them, then, but you have to be okay with them growing at their own pace. And I had to learn that. So that was very frustrating for me because it's like, I spent so many hours on this story. Why am I not done yet? Why is it not further along? And you just had, I had to realize that each story grows at its own pace. Some stories I've been working on for five years and some stories, five months and they're done. So every story is kind of different, just like every person is different. Well, this takes me on to my next question. How is a book made? It's a good question. How is a book made? So I am a children's picture book author. And so the books I make are, you know, from reading levels like zero to eight, maybe zero to 10. I still read them. I'm 34. I love them. So here's how we make a story. I start off with an outline. Um, I do something called a story grid where I go scene by scene and describe what's going to happen on each page. And then I write my script after that. And I write the words that are going to be on the page. After that, I have to find the person who's going to draw all the pictures and color all the pictures because I don't do any of the drawing and coloring. I'm terrible at drawing. That's not a story you would want drawn by me. And so after the drawings and colorings are done, the words are in there on the pages. Then we send it off to a printer to be printed. And then we have a book. So that's how it happens. Wow. That's, that's very cool. So Jesse, do you want to talk a little bit about um, how you've worked on a project with New York Edge and the magical bakery behind you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So had a fantastic time making a story with um, kids in New York. We made a children's picture book called The Magical Bakery. And all of the kids inside of that cohort came up with the story, the characters, the drama. We talked about all of these elements of story and we built it together. And then we handed it off to um, a professional writer to round out the script and a professional illustrator to draw all of the illustrations. And we made a book together. It has all of the, of the kids' names on it, all the students' names on it. And it's beautifully illustrated by an illustrator named Lau Morati. She is based in Uruguay. 
and she is fantastic. She's done a lot of great work in the children's book space. And now we have a real professional, beautiful looking book and story that was made by the kids who were in the group. So we had a lot of fun with that and can't wait to do so, so much more of that. You know, if you could talk a little bit about what you believe is the power of kids writing and creating their own stories and why this is important to do it at a young age. How do you think projects like this really impact schools, writing, creative thinking? With working with the kids, I think it's it's so great to hear their voice, you know, their creative voice that's unabridged, sort of allowing them and their creativity and their imagination to go into places with the story, to imagine what worlds may look like, what characters may look like, to learn the building blocks of how you create drama. I think having that voice, but also having the confidence of knowing that you as a part of a team, as a kid, you know, you made this thing that will last indefinitely. You know, you've made a book that that now is not only a reflection of you and your art and your creativity, but it's a time capsule. You know, it's it, it can even be an heirloom. And I think that that's, that's really powerful. And also seeing the kids work with the science of story, which I'm also excited about. Not every kid's going to want to be a writer. Not every kid's going to want to be an illustrator or artist. And I think that's totally fine. But almost no matter what they go into, learning how to leverage story for your advantage is going to be a good backwind. So whether you are trying to raise funds for a nonprofit you start later down the line, or you're paying a business for funding, or you're writing an actual story, or you're going through a job interview and they ask you, tell me, tell me a time when you did X, Y, and Z on your previous job. They're asking for a very short story. And so the more you understand the nuts and bolts of storytelling, the more you can um, positively influence your audience and your outcomes, um, or at least have a better chance. And probably last but not least, it's just the fact that they are now getting to look under the hood of these things that we ask them to read all the time. I mean, I just remember seeing a report card from me when I was 10 and my fourth grade teacher made the comment that I was always daydreaming and that I was always talking to myself. And what I was trying to do, I remember very vividly, is I was trying to basically make stories in my mind. I was trying to put them together, but nobody ever taught me how to make a story. They only taught me how to read a story. And so I'm excited that they're going to have this relationship with stories that now they've looked under the hood. They've made one, they've built one. So maybe when they go back and read them, they can have a different relationship and understanding of what's happening in the story. Talk a little bit about why it's important for the book to be on Amazon and out in the public, and then also what it does for the project and helps to sort of fund it and keep it going. Yeah, I think it's super important from the kids' perspective to see that their work is, or it's valuable to see their work going out into the world, their work having a presence and an impact maybe beyond the scope of family and friends. And then in order to keep these this this project going, this workshop going and offer it to more kids, you know, the bulk of it goes to the host, whoever sponsored that particular workshop for those students. And then um, the minor percentage goes to our nonprofit, Each Story Matters, to continue providing these opportunities to students who may not otherwise be able to have them. And, you know, we have we have goals of these books becoming best-selling books. You know, why, why not? That's the reason why we make sure that they look as good and read as good as any other children's picture book on the shelf, whether it came from Simon & Schuster or Penguin Random House. You know, these books that these kids made will compete. You know, if they're side by side with those books, they will look just as good, if not better. And what's cooler than being uh, your own author in the fourth grade? I mean, really. Like, I, I don't think we have many adults that can say they're even an author as an adult. So I think what you've put together is uh, incredibly powerful for kids. 
but thank you for for bringing this to the kids. We've cooked some food, but without a partner, without a way to get it to to the kids and and, and to amplify it, it, it would be incomplete. So really appreciate New York Edge's partnership on this mission to turn kids into published authors. That's what we're doing. <laughs> Are any of your books inspired by your own life as a kid? Yes. Um, maybe not as a kid. Well, actually, I would say, no, you're absolutely right. There are there are parts of my childhood that that go into any story. I'm still very much a child at heart and in real life. A lot of it goes around. I think that, you know, stories can be fun and engaging. You know, there's room for stories that uh, just entertain and that they have a place as long as kids are developing a love of reading, you know, it, there can be a spectrum of stories. And that's what I'm really, really happy about. I would say the biggest part of my childhood that's, probably, that's gone into the stories is the playfulness. Um, you know, I love toys. I love games. We have a new story coming out called Stuff. And it just has a ton of stuff, ton of stuffed animals, game, rollerblades, um, all of that type of stuff. Um, and that's from my childhood, uh, for sure. And, you know, stories do come from within you, at least in part. So I don't think I don't think it's possible for me to make a story that isn't at least even if it's not about me, it it at least has to come from something I've seen or heard or learned or, you know, people that I knew, things I've been through. That to me is just a part of it that's going to go into it. So, yeah. What do you do if you lost inspiration while writing a book? Mm, yes. Great question. What do I do if I lose inspiration while writing a book? Believe it or not, a lot of inspiration is tied information. So usually when you get stuck as a writer or a creative, that usually means you need to learn more about what it is you're writing about. You need to get out into the environment. You need to get hands on with the, with the material that you're trying to reflect and represent. And honestly, if you read a book, listen to a podcast, watch a, watch a TV show about it, the more information you get into that imagination factory, the more it'll spit out creativity. That's been my experience. And so whenever I'm stuck, I try to step away from the story and I try to learn more about the world, the characters, the themes. Say if it's a story about friendship, maybe I'll try to learn more about the nuts and bolts of friendship. Maybe I'll watch a movie or a TV show that is about friendship and I'll try to really soak in what it is I'm trying to reflect in the story. And so it's all about, to me, it's all about learning more. When I get stuck, that usually means that I need more information in. So I need to go learn more about what I'm writing. Your website mentions you like video games. What is your favorite video game? Do you like Fortnite? (laughs) Do I like Fortnite? So I'm going to show you how old I am and how I answer this question. So I've heard a lot about Fortnite. I've heard a lot about Roblox. I've heard a lot about a lot of the games that are popular these days. I have not played any of those games. I am still playing Mario and, and, and Donkey Kong and, and a whole bunch of other games, Assassin's Creed. Uncharted is probably my favorite video game series for PlayStation. That's probably my favorite, which isn't so, so old, but they haven't made a new one in a long time. But yeah, so that's where I am. I haven't yet caught up with all of the cool what they're playing. What do you like to play? Um, I mostly like to play Roblox and Fortnite. I got to get on it. I got to get on. Maybe you can teach me how to play because, yeah, I'm old and I need to be taught. <laughs> You're missing out right now on all the fun and robots and, and Fortnite. So I've been told by every youth I talk to, okay, I have I have to catch up. That's, that's on me. That's my fault. <laughs> Orlando, I just think, 
I think you're the best. And I, I'm so happy to co-host with you today. And I want you to, uh, we have a question for Jesse that we ask all our guests. If you could go back and talk to your 13-year-old self, what advice would you give? Oh, it's, it's simple. If I could talk to my 13-year-old self, I would say, try stuff. Try stuff. Try, try more things, things that you don't even think you might like. Try different instruments. Try different sports. Try different clubs and after school stuff like do camping stuff try to build a tent try to make a a fire like do do all of this stuff because you never really know what you're gonna i never really knew what i was gonna gravitate towards until i had exposure and experience so you may not like all of that stuff it may not be what you want to do but i do think for me the more stuff i would have tried sooner probably the sooner I would have found my passion and my love and I probably would have been doing it longer at this point. So my advice to 13-year-old Jesse, try stuff. Well, if you would have gone back to your 13-year-old self, I, I would have reminded you, if I was live, I would have reminded you to, to play Fortnite and Roblox. <laughs> yes, I need that reminder. Maybe we could have made Fortnite and Roblox together and we'd be rich. Me and you, we'd be rich. <laughs> Thank you for coming and answering all my questions today. I hope you have a great day, Jesse. And thank you. Thank you for having these amazing questions and thinking about them and and, and asking me them. I had a great time chatting with you, Orlando. I can't wait to do it again, hopefully. Thanks for listening to Formative. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge. My co-host today was Orlando of MS452K in Brooklyn, assisted by Denise Moulton. Our guest today was award-winning children's book writer, Jesse Bird. His collaboration with New York Edge students, The Magical Bakery, illustrated by Lau Moraiti, is available wherever books are sold. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. The show is produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert, post-production and original music by Garrett Tiedemann, production manager Gabriella Montekin, executive producer David Hoffman. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.